Our first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. And our second reading is from the New Testament, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if, I, for if you forgive the people, other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their, others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Good morning. My name's Stephen, one of the ministers here. Now, when you look at me, what do you see? Don't call it out. I'm not sure my self-esteem can handle that. But what... No, I said don't call it out. <laughs> what sort of things do you, do you think about me? You know, there's the kind of obvious things. White, male, middle class, middle-aged, greying, a man with a haircut, probably given to him by his wife. There's all those kind of obvious things, but... Then there's the less obvious things which, uh, if, if you know me, might come to mind. Um, married, a father, a man with way too many neglected hobbies. Someone who's, who's faced a, a few hard things in life but is incredibly lucky, really. Someone who's got an awful lot to give thanks for. These are probably some of the things that I'm guessing that you see. But I wonder if anyone looks at me and thinks, now there's a man in debt. There's a man that owes a lot of money. Were any of you thinking that about me? If you were, I wonder what gave it away. Probably the haircut from my wife. But, it, but it's true. I, I try not to think of myself this way, but I'm a man in debt. I owe the government money with my hex debt. I owe the bank money with my home loan. And if I think about my standing in the world, it's not all that secure. If the government and the bank were decided that they wanted that money back right now, and if they were allowed to come demanding that money, I'd have nowhere to go. Nothing I could do, I'd, I'd be done. You can see why I don't like to think about my debt. None of us really like to think about our debts, do we? It, it affects how we think about ourselves and our standing in the world. 
Well, we've been doing a three-week series on prayer. We've been looking at a part of the Bible where Jesus teaches us to pray. And we're up to that part where Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. And this might sound a bit strange, um, that not only can we have a debt with the government or with the bank, but we have a debt with God. Now, so far, we've seen that Jesus is teaching us that prayer is about being sincere children of God. And we've seen that the kind of prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, it actually changes us. When we pray as sincere children, it realigns our minds and our hearts and our way of living to line up with the way that God thinks and feels and does things. In the first week, we saw that prayer should realign us relationally with God as our Father. So we pray our Father in heaven. We also saw that it should realign us with reality, with God set over and above all things. We pray, hallowed be your name. And we saw it it should even realign our allegiance with God's kingdom as our life's goal. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that was all in the first week. Last week, we looked at that bit where Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. And you could say that prayer should realign us economically. We're to depend on God day by day. Today, we see Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. And so we see that prayer should realign our basis for relating to God. Prayer should realign our basis for how we relate to God. We depend on God's grace. Now, when we stand before God as sincere children, if if we're being honest, we're going to admit to God that we haven't lived up to uh, our obligations to Him. You know, we're in His debt. If the basis of the relationship between God and me is him and me meeting our mutual obligations, then what does that mean for the relationship? If the relationship's built on him meeting his obligations, me meeting my obligations, what does that mean for the relationship? It means there is no relationship. Because God meets his obligations, but we don't meet ours. If we're sincere, we we can't just ignore that or dismiss it, or expect God to just get over it. Sincerity means we address it. And the only way we can possibly address it is to admit it, and also to admit that there's nothing that we can do about it. See, it doesn't matter who we are, we can't stand before God cashed up with our own track record. Relationally with God, based on our track record, there's nothing in the bank. We're in debt, and we've got nothing to stand on. Now, I don't like to think of myself as a man in debt, as I said. I don't don't like to think of myself as in debt to God or or even in debt to other people. I I just don't like that feeling. And so I I like to think of myself as, as having given God and other people a fair go. I've treated them all right. I don't owe them anything. Do you ever feel like that? But this kind of prayer, honest prayer, as sincere children, it changes how you think and feel. 
we are absolutely in God's debt. And not simply because he's done so much for us, like all those things we heard this morning, and, and now we're struggling to repay the favor. He has done so much for us. He's given us life and privilege and food and work and dignity, family, all sorts of good things. But we're in his debt because not only have we frequently, rudely refused to thank him or even notice his gifts, but even worse than this, we've taken so many of those gifts and we've actually used them to to hurt other people. People he's made, people he he loves dearly. I hate it when um, people do the wrong thing by my kids, whether it's other kids doing it or whether it's adults doing it. I hate it. You do the wrong thing by one of my children and you're doing the wrong thing by me. Now, if that's how I feel as a pretty flawed father, if that's how most parents feel, then could you imagine how God feels when we mistreat people he loves? Have you mistreated someone? Well, then you've angered God and morally you're in his debt. We've all failed like this. We've all failed in the responsibilities and the relationships that he's given us. And so often we fail to even notice or care. And so if we think the basis for our relationship with him is is because we're cashed up with relational capital, so God should be happy to have us as, as a friend, then that's just adding injury to insult, insult to injury. Sincere followers of Jesus, they're not people who think they're in God's good books because of what we do. Our relationship with him needs a much more solid basis. But here's the thing. Sincere children, we are the ones who see our debt with God. We get it. It's it's bigger and more real than any other debt we could have. And yet, at the same time, what else do we see? Well, we see our debt is gone. Wiped clean completely. I mean, if if my um, hex debt and my home loan debt was just wiped clean instantly, I'd feel liberated, ecstatic. I I reckon I'd have a kind of even more stupid smile on my face than than just now. (laughs) I, I feel like I would literally stand a little bit taller I'd um, do something exuberant, spontaneous. I'd shout your coffee at the uh, coffee machine afterwards. Actually, I'd probably do something quite sensible and pay someone to fix my gutters for me. Now, I, I, can, I can feel the, the relief and the, and the joy and the thankfulness that I'd have if, if that kind of debt was forgiven. Jesus, in this prayer, is teaching us to see it and to feel the relief and the joy and the thankfulness of having a a far more serious debt forgiven. Your creator, your father, doesn't hold your debt against you when you come to him sincerely through Jesus. It doesn't exist. Our natural way of thinking is to not even notice or care about the crushing damning debt that we have against us, a debt that one day is going to catch up with us. But here's the paradox. 
Jesus teaches us to actually see it, but then to see that it's forgiven completely and it's forgiven continually. This kind of sincere prayer, it changes us. It changes us to see that, that we don't stand before God on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of His grace alone, on the basis of Jesus dying in our place so we can be forgiven. That's liberating, life-changing. That means we have a secure relationship with God. And it's got to be the biggest of all reasons to give thanks, doesn't it? So is that how you pray, though? Using this prayer as a, as a template, is it how you pray? Do you, do you pray honestly, admitting your debt before God? Do you bring to God your, your shortcomings, your, your failures, the way that you're actually attracted to evil things? greedy things, self-indulgent kind of things, sexually distorted things, and proud and self-righteous kind of ways of thinking. Do you speak about these kind of things with God, your Father, asking for His forgiveness? Because that's what sincere children do. Sometimes um, people think that um, talking about bringing failings and even you know, talking about bringing what's evil within us before God, sometimes people think this, this kind of thing is, is repressed and, and unhealthy. Have you ever come across that kind of idea? But that's an absolute lie. It, it's also an absolute unreality. We are weak and broken and messed up at times. We, we think and feel and, and do things that aren't okay. And there's nothing more healthy than admitting to God and to ourselves that we need to be forgiven. And there's nothing more healing than hearing the Father say to you, I still love you. I forgive you. What's actually repressed and unhealthy and messed up is is a growing trend in our society to be completely unwilling to say sorry and to admit fault an error within ourselves. People who won't admit that they're not perfect, not good, that is unhealthy. That their thoughts and feelings and actions are often twisted and wrong, that's not good for us. If you're a parent, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I find one of the hardest parts about being a parent is is the way little kids right through to teenagers, almost adults, they struggle so much to say sorry. It's unbelievable, really. And, and when they hurt you real bad and they won't admit it to you or, or even to themselves, that's unhealthy. That's destructive to the relationship. And Jesus teaches us that's not the kind of children that we're to be with God our Father. We're to admit when we do wrong. The next thing we see, though, is um, probably even more challenging. We've seen that that prayer should realign our basis for relating to God. We depend on God's grace. Next, Jesus teaches us that prayer should realign our basis for relating to each other. We depend on each other's grace. Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
Now, I don't like to think of myself as being in debt, but I don't mind so much of thinking of others as being in debt to me. I'm okay with that. I'm fine with them owing me. And if they've let me down, then especially they owe me. They owe it to me to, to make it up to me. And I'm, I'm quite happy for God to forgive my debt, but I'm not exactly sure why that means I should forgive the debt of others. Have you ever felt like that? We tend to think of things transactionally rather than relationally. We, we tend to think of what God has done for us as, as a kind of banking transaction rather than the Father relationally holding on to us in grace. And when we reduce God's forgiveness to a kind of transaction, then we can hear Jesus saying here that in order to have my debt wiped clean, I must forgive others. The condition of God's debt erasing scheme is that I erase the debt of others. That's the catch, if you like. And then that's how we read what Jesus says just after this in verse 14. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And we read this kind of like this is the fine print, the, the terms and conditions of the transaction. But we need to remember here, Jesus is talking about being sincere children. This is not about qualifying, because we'll never ba- qualify based on performance. This is the opposite. The opposite. This is about embracing that our standing before God is not based on performance, but on grace. Standing before God is only possible based on grace. And actually, it always was based on grace. Did you know that? Even before sin entered the world. How do you think Adam stood alongside God? Based on performance? He never stood alongside God as his equal. He always stood there because of grace. God has not designed this world to be a place where we only relate to someone on the basis that they first meet their contractual obligations to us. That's not how God's made this world. He's made the world the flip of that, the complete opposite of that. He's made this world to be other person-centered. He's made relationships to be central. He's designed us to have relationships where we give of ourselves to others. Relationships based on grace. Now, our our rejection of God and, and our rejection of this plan for relationships doesn't make grace less important in those relationships. Our messed up ways of, of relating to each other make grace critical, all the more critical. And so as we embrace this foundation for relating to God on the basis of his grace, if we're sincere about it, we're actually embracing this way of relating full stop. I don't relate to people according to their performance in moral obligations to me. I don't want God to relate that way to me. If I'm honest, I don't want you to relate that way to me. Embracing grace as the basis for relationship means extending grace to others. Anything less would actually be hypocritical, insincere, 
And it would mean I'm, I'm not really interested in God's grace. And to be uninterested in God's grace is actually to be uninterested in God himself. Now what Jesus teaches here, it changes our thinking. It changes our hearts. It changes our way of living. Essentially what this means is I stop expecting you to meet your moral obligations to me in order for me to be willing to relate to you. I stop making the basis for my relationship with you your performance and vice versa. Instead, what I expect is that I'm going to need to forgive you. And what you expect is that you're going to need to forgive me even as we both know without a doubt that God needs to forgive us. This, this is a kind of radical realignment of, of mind, heart and way of living, of, of how we relate to each other and what we expect from each other. But is this how we pray? You know, using this prayer as a template, are we praying that we'll extend to those around us the same kind of grace that God has extended to us? Are we praying that this will be our way of life? Um, can you see how this, this sort of changes things? You know, if, if you think of someone in your life who you need to forgive or who you've needed to forgive in the past, think of that person. Are you praying for them? Are you praying for yourself? Are you bringing your own failings before God as you ask him to help you let go of their failings? If you... Um, look around everyone here if we're honest what's the basis of our relationships here you know look around at the people around you what what's the basis for your relationship with people here are you friendly with them and happy to interact on the basis that they meet your social expectations that they meet their obligations to you or do you relate to them on the basis of grace because that's what sincere children of God do. Not always perfectly, but, but prayerfully is the idea. Are there people here that you need to stop avoiding? Or people here you need to stop being distant to because you're not sure that they meet up to your expectations of a friend? That's the kind of change this prayer brings in us when we pray. Now today is Thanksgiving Sunday. We've already seen the greatest of all reasons to give thanks. Jesus died in our place so that we could be children of God forgiven. That's the biggest reason, but this is another huge reason to give thanks to God. Because he gives us each other. God not only extends his grace to us, he calls us into a community that extends his grace to each other. And that's an amazing and a beautiful thing. And it's something to um, constantly give thanks for. The final thing we see from what Jesus teaches us is that prayer should realign our self-assessment. We only stand as God delivers us. Now, in this last part of the, the prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we've already seen that we, we don't stand before God based on our own performance, funded by our own means. We're in, we only stand before God because he forgives us our debts. Well, here we see that we only continue with God 
as he leads and delivers us. It's not in our own strength. We don't have what it takes to go it alone. Now this, this way of praying here, it, it changes how you think and feel and live as well. We're asking God not to take us down paths in life where we're going to be tested, tempted, where the devil could use the evil within us or the evil within others to get us to fall in love with the, the gifts that God gives us more than him, the giver. I've been um, watching Alone on SBS. It's uh, David's, David Foley's fault. He, uh, he put me up to it. Uh, how many of us have seen it alone? Oh, not heaps. Oh, well, you've got some joy ahead of you. Uh, <laughs> let me explain it for you. Basically, they, they dump 10 Americans. Actually, they're not all Americans, but they're mostly Americans. 10 Americans out in the wilderness and see how long they can survive for alone they're allowed to take 10 items with them saws and things like that but no kind of machine guns or anything like that just uh, basic kind of survival things they dump them out there and they see how long they'll survive for now i'm up to season two and it's interesting the way the dynamics have changed between season one and season two because all the people in season two they've seen the previous season and many of them are there because they think they can do better than what they saw before they think i'm not going to be scared by bears i'll just say hey bear and scare it off and it'll be fine i'll be fine and they think i'm not going to go hungry i know how to fish and eat seaweed and limpets and disgusting things like that and they think i'm not going to be worried by the loneliness i love being alone people annoy me their self-assessment when they're sitting there on the couch eating popcorn, surrounded by family and friends, their, their self-assessment at that point is pretty high. And so they think, bring it on. But you know what happens when they get out there alone and they meet a bear? Some of them don't even last 24 hours, actually. And in the end, pretty much every single one of them says they underestimated how hard it was going to be. They end up seeing that their self-assessment was way, way too high. Now, when Jesus teaches us to pray like this, lead us not into temptation, he's teaching us to pray in a way that realigns our self-assessment. Instead of looking down on people who stumble and, and thinking, oh, we'd do better, we look at ourselves and we feel our own weakness. We see it. We see that we're only going to stand as God leads us and delivers us. Now, is this how we pray? following this kind of template for prayer that Jesus gives us? Are we people who overestimate our strength? Or are we people who really see our frailty, our weakness? Do we bring our struggles and our temptations sincerely and honestly before God, looking to Him to deliver us? I reckon the natural human way of thinking when we're struggling is not to bring these kind of things to God. We tend to think, I'll, I'll come to God once I've got it under control. Then I'll be right to come before him. Or we think, I'll come back to God afterwards when I need to be forgiven. That's when I'll come to him. But being sincere children means actually recognizing just how weak and fragile we are. Just how in danger of being led astray for good 
we are. It's like an old Christian song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. I take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I find this song kind of tormenting because I feel those words. And yet I know that the person who wrote that song eventually fell away from God. And when we see ourselves like this, we don't put ourselves in situations where we're going to be tempted because we're honest about what our hearts are really like. You know, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us we're to take drastic action if we're tempted. Don't estimate your, overestimate your strength. Don't treat temptation lightly. Don't think you'll be fine, Jesus tells us. You won't be unless God leads you down a very different path and delivers you. Another uh, danger on the show alone, apart from bears, is mountain lions. Now, they freaked me out so much, these things, that I, I had to sort of look up how to survive if you meet one in the wild. I'm not sure I'm going to be needing that information anytime soon, but, but I sort of felt like I could sleep a lot better. Everything I read, though, said, if you're out walking and there are children with you, you need to very quickly get them behind you, in close, to stay right behind the adults. Mountain lions, they can be 100 kilos of muscle. They can run at 80 kilometers per hour. Now, how do you think a child is going to go facing that? Their only hope is safe behind an adult. Well, when it comes to the devil trying to get you to love things more than God. You and I, we don't stand a chance. The only way we stand safe is if we stand safe behind the Father who loves us. And Jesus is teaching us to see this, to feel this, to change how we live according to this. Are you mucking around with temptation? Are you flirting with being led with someone or something other than the Father? A romance that's, that's not right? Or a dream that, that's actually fueled by greed and self-importance? Leave it. Don't overestimate yourself, your strength. Get behind the Father. Do you know, though, this is actually another reason for giving thanks to God? God's not annoyed by our weakness. He's not annoyed that we have to hide behind him. He wants to deliver us from the kind of things that are trying to destroy us. And as we, we look around here today, this is actually a reason to give thanks. We've got people here, I won't get you to put your hand up this time, but we've got people here pushing 90 who have been working, walking with God for, for many years. You know, that's God leading, that's his delivering across decades. That is something to give him thanks for. But you know what? As I, I look out here, I also see people at the opposite end. Teenagers. Teenagers walking with God in your teenage years when everything, everywhere around you is tempting, tempting you, screaming to you at times that what it offers is better than the Father. Other things trying to enslave you, devour you. When you stick with God, that's, 
God leading you. That's his delivering. And that is something also that we can be so thankful to God for. We've got so much to be thankful for. His forgiveness in Jesus. Each other, a community of grace. And the fact that he will lead us and take care of us through life. Aren't you just so thankful to call God his father? And if you don't know God this way, you know, he knows you. He knows you and he wants you to know him as father. To live for him as father. What's holding you back from doing that? What would it take to to move past that and actually live with God as your father? I'd love to talk to you about that. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do have so much to be thankful for. So many things in our lives, but ultimately we are just so thankful for Jesus. That he loved us so much that he died in our place. That we, so that we could call you Father now and for all eternity. Lord, we thank you that our relationship with you is not shaky or based on our performance or how good we are. That it's based on your grace, on your love for us, on your absolute commitment for us shown in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a community where we're to have relationships like this based on grace, not on how we perform according to each other's expectations. Lord, we admit to you that we do fail at this and we keep failing. We thank you that your forgiveness knows no limits, that you keep forgiving us and calling us back to be these kind of people. We thank you, Lord, that you go on leading us and delivering us through all sorts of things that would lead us away from you we give you thanks and ask that you would keep blessing us like this and we pray in jesus name amen